morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to Epiphany Station and do a little bit of cleaning up while I do. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matty Taus. I get to be the lead pastor here at Epiphany Station. And as a lead pastor, I get to share something with you this morning from our leadership team. Uh, before we jump into our teaching series, we have an incredible group of people that work on all of our financial resources and how we implement them and how we use them uh, to build God's kingdom here. And they've let me know of an opportunity we have to be able to take more personal responsibility in what we do. And this conversation just now is for those of you who really see value in the ministry and mission of Epiphany. If you see this as a, as a ministry that's been serving you or your family, or you see it in its desire to embrace outsiders actually doing what it does well, then this is for you and me. If you are a guest here today, this conversation might not well be for you. It might just be for you in the future. Because you see, the vision that we have is to embrace thousands of outsiders. And just speaking practically, to embrace thousands of outsiders means and takes thousands of ministry dollars to do it. So we can have the ministries that reach out to people like Celebrate Recovery, that we can support Elevate Youth Center, that we can be able to do our worship experiences on a weekend and have e-kids and e-babies and our music ministries, teaching ministries, that we can have discipleship training classes, care teams, prayer teams, all of it together with this goal of teaching people how to love God and love people, period. All of that takes an investment because all of that is an investment. And it goes and it thrives because we pour into it and because some of you pour into it. And I'm going to ask you this morning to consider what it means for you to be able to become a contributor, to be able to invest into what God is doing for our community, for people like you through Epiphany Station. Now, I'm not asking you, and never will we ask you at Epiphany Station to do something that, quite frankly, you don't feel like you should do, that you would be drawn to do it because out of guilt or out of shame or anything like that. But we are asking people that call this their home church, that see the value in it, to do something. We see on an average weekend, this weekend does not count as an average weekend, we see somewhere between 300, 330 people come to our worship experiences. That's not counting anything midweek. Now take away the 60 or 70 kids that usually are a part of that, and that leaves about 260 individual adults. To do what we're called to do in 2019, just broken down into all practicality, means about $30 per person to be able to see it happen on a weekly basis. $30 a week for us to be able to thrive and pour into the ministries we have. Now most conversations I've ever had with people about giving to a church, I find that they're not actively against doing it. It's usually just because it's not placed in front of them that it's something that we do, or that they don't see the impact that it has when we do it. Uh, we are an autonomous church. What happens here happens here because we make sure it happens here. There's no archdiocese, there's no head office pouring money in from outside. It's on us. And if you see value in what's happening here, I'm going to ask you to consider and maybe pull the trigger on starting to contribute to what we do. The greatest way that you can help us, even if you are just starting or if you've always been giving, is to actually use our online giving mechanism to be able to help us understand how to use God's money best. Our online giving helps us see things a little bit clearer, a little bit better, and there you can also set up recurring giving. So if you want to do, say, the 30 a week, you can set that up and then it's good to go. I believe that God has called Epiphany Station to do and continue to do tremendous things, to see, like we have every single year, dozens of people give their lives to Christ, dozens of people be baptized. We've been able to see lives changed and addictions beat and marriages renovated because God has called us to do what we do well. 
I'm just asking if you call this your place or you've been served by it for you to join the momentum, to join the movement by being willing to be a financial contributor alongside us. Now we get to wrap up our teaching series. Our teaching series that is built, this family first idea that is built around putting family where it belongs. We started off this conversation in week one, seeking to design and divine really what it means to do real love and what real love means. We found that real love means sacrifice. If you really want to love someone, then you will sacrifice to show them that love. Last week, we had the conversation about what it means to do real marriage and how real marriage has real love inserted into it, that it will be sacrificial. Today, we get to have something of a culminating conversation that is based solely pointed at the art of parenting and raising children, but really is more of a conversation about how to do everything. Deep down, this is a conversation about your kids, and it's about your grandkids, and it's about your niece, and it's about your nephew, and it's about your friends' kids and your kids' friends. It's how to put kids where they belong. Because we all come to parenting, we all come to being an uncle and an aunt and a grandparent differently, with different views of what our role is and the part that we have to play. And most of those questions and those differing views are based on how to do it on how to do it and, and, and how to bring to bear the most impact that is most beneficial. One question that we rarely ask about parenting is why. Well, in the first year, you ask it a lot. You're like, why did I decide to parent? But most of the time, we don't ask ourselves why we even do this in the first place. Why is parenting a thing? Why does anyone have kids? Why is the model that we keep them in our homes and we, we raise them up? What is the purpose and why do we do this at all? Because we're lacking usually the answer to that question of why we're even seeking to raise them, we try our best to scrabble around and find some dreams and find some goals that we can maybe latch on to. You could think about parenting as decisions like, I'm just going to make sure that I'm not that kind of parent. Or maybe even in the positive, we'd say, I just want to make sure I raise my kids to be fill in the blank. But because those are kind of loose and they really lack a why and an overgoal end and purpose, they can lack certainty. They can lack intentionality. I think a lot of our parenting stories are very similar in that they start kind of idyllic and they can very quickly become a big hot mess, a hot mess of worry and confusion and questions, things that can overbear and overwhelm any goals we might have originally had. We have questions day after day about what will they eat and what will they drink and what will they wear? What will they learn and, and what will they play and who will they love who will they follow? What will they choose? How will they vote? What will they live for? And what would they be willing to die for? I think parenting could be summed up with a simple equation, that parenting equals questions, plans, and surprises. And surprises, plans, and questions basically just make us worry. They make us worry continuously, what if, and what are we going to do? But our only what if, our only question this morning is, what if we had answers what if we had answers to the question of why we do parenting? What if we had answers that told us how to plan to put that into place and practice? And what if we had families that could face surprises without them having the ability to implode our family over and over again? And this is for all of us. This is all stages of parenting. You and your potential love of having children, you and your newborn, your not-so-newborn, or your fully grown to understand what's most important, to understand what really matters, to understand what your kid really needs. 
how we can put kids where they belong. That's our goal and our aim this morning. How we can do everything that we were born to do and to teach our kids how to do it the same. The core guidance that we've had through this entire series has been from a book in the Old Testament by a guy called Joshua, on narrating Joshua's life. And the very specific chunk we've been working through is a declarative moment. It's a threshold moment in Joshua's life in chapter 24. When he comes to this point towards the end of his life, he calls a whole community together, and he says, we need to decide from this point forth what we're going to do, who we're going to serve, what we're going to love, what we're going to make the number one priority for our family and for our marriages and for our kids. So we're going in it again today. We're going to go in a little bit more with a little bit more context than we have in the previous weeks because it highlights for us the problem, the problem that they faced then, the problem that we face now. So you can watch it with me on the screen behind me, or if you have your Bible, you can get a Joshua 24. He said this to the people. He said, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's having a difficult conversation, one that I'm hoping you see the point of our conversation today matching, in that when he brought everyone together, he said, look, here are your options, and you do have options. Understand that you have options. No one's telling you what to do, but please look at the options and decide what you're going to do. He says that really the thing you're here to do, the most important thing would be to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, put away idols, serve the Lord alone. That's what he says. But he says, if you don't want any of this, then go and find what you do want. If it's not this that you want to do, go elsewhere. He draws this line in the sand and he says, look, pick. Would you desire it to be the gods of the, beyond the Euphrates River? This is what your ancestors used to worship. This is what Abraham himself used to worship before God called him out and called him to be his own. You could go worship them. They would love your devotion. And there's plenty to go around. A conservative estimate of how many gods there were behind the Euphrates River at the time was about 2,400. And they're all kind of like us. They would drink, they would steal, they would kill. Just go be like them. Go serve them if that's what you really want. Or what about the gods that were found in Egypt? Your parents were there. They knew what that was like. They know how that didn't turn out too well for them. The Egyptians weren't very pro-you. Or what about the gods that you have right in front of your face today? The gods of the Amorites, they've got some for you to go worship. There's some doozies in there, like the guy Molech, who would actually have you physically sacrifice your children to him. You can go, you can go worship that. And then what he does is Joshua lays it on thick, really thick, and says, look, here are your options. You will serve and you will worship something, so go and decide. And he did this because he knew people, like God knows people, in that most of us we struggle to decide. We struggle to decide wholeheartedly. We just struggle to go all in and say, this is what we believe. This is what we will do. Most of us spend our days being carried and swept along by everything that tries to grab our attention. I believe if you were to ask 10 people, hey, what's your purpose? Why are you here? Why do you go to work? Why are you raising your kids? What's your end goal? 
I think it would take them some time to come up with their answer because we don't think about it enough. And because we don't think about it enough, we don't stand on anything. And when we don't stand on anything, we'll fall for anything. There are thousands of tiny idols, tiny things to worship for you and for your kids that could take all of your love, all of your devotion, all of your affection. These could be things that are laid in front of you by culture. as to say, this is how to be happy. These are the toys that you need. This is the kind of comfort level you should expect. This is what you're entitled to. Make this your pursuit. It could be your heritage. Honestly, it could be things that your parents have said to you. This is what I think is most important. It could be what you find yourself in today, presently, that is drawing you to it, that is making your calendar shift around for it. Or it could be a future desire that you have, a life that you want to build, a life that you want to lead that the rest of your life gets twisted and turned in pursuit of. Now, we wouldn't say that this is worship, but that's what worship is. Worship is changing your life. Worship is gearing and serving with your life towards anything. And we are not so different from Joshua's crowd. There's a lot of things in common. Joshua's crowd were not malicious God-haters. I'd say neither are we. We wouldn't desire to say that a thousand things get to have our attention and our devotion, that we would have idols and worship them, and neither would they. And they were not morons. They were not sheep blindly being, following anything that was new and shiny, and I would say neither are we. But they were also not so sure. They were also not so sure of what their most beloved and most devoted thing would be. They had difficulty resisting, they had difficulty persisting, and so do we. Because we often struggle to follow the one thing that is most valuable, the one thing that is most important. Instead, we follow one thing after another. And we get drawn to the next thing. We have a little bit of time for this and a little bit of life for that, and it gets drained because today we value this then we value that. And after we've valued that for a while, we value something else, and we live this shotgun, scattered life. And if that's at all anything that describes you, your family, your kids, maybe, maybe you are distracted by the options, distracted by the many little things that you could make your main thing. Now, we believe that we have a main thing. Epiphany believes, and Christians believe we have a main thing for our existence, to love God and to love people, Period. That's what we're here to do, that we can do that, that we can put family where it belongs by doing that, and we can do real sacrificial love, we can do real marriage, we can do real parenting, and we can put kids where they belong by understanding where we belong. And if that is you, if you have that desire, that, that goal, that striving to love God and love people first, then you need to know the threats that will always be in front of you, the threats that were no different to Joshua's crowd, but just looked a little different. See, back in their day, they had gods and idols to the trees and to the water and to fire and to war and to love and to sun and to moon. Those tend not to be the things that grab and wrap our attention and take our devotion. We've already said what we struggle with. We've already talked about our concerns, the things that want to take our opportunity, that want to take our desire and attention. We have worries. Our great idols are our worries. They are our questions. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? They are the questions we have about our children. What will they learn? What will they play? 
Who will they love and follow and choose? How will they vote? What will they live for? And what would they be willing to die for? And as we answer those questions, those can give root to these idols we would chase, that we would focus everything on these worries that we have about food and drink and clothing and about how our children will develop. And all those pursuits can take us away from the God-given solitary purpose we have that will actually give us the most, that will actually benefit us the best. So Jesus, just like Joshua, knowing that there was a problem that mankind would always face, he himself confronted it. He himself not drew a line in the sand as much as opened a gaping chasm and confronted this problem we have of what we will choose. See, he said in Matthew 6, as he drawed people together, look, you don't need to worry about these things. Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers who your heavenly father, but your heavenly father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. If we want to give our children, grandchildren, nieces and nephews the very best, the very best thing that we can give them is a desire to seek God, the kingdom of God first. But as we do that, we will forever be curtailed. We will ever, forever have an overwhelming, derailing force in our lives that can dominate our thoughts to take us away from it. That your primary goal, your primary concern, the thing to go and do and do best is to prepare a child for life, is to focus them on the kingdom of God. To focus them first on God, that they would know who their king is, that their God would genuinely become their God, that they would serve them wholeheartedly. That is the promise that God gives to us as parents, that that is what we are called to do. That if we can get this, and if we can get our kids to get this, everything else will be given to them. That your marriage can be founded on this. Your family and your childbearing and raising can be brought to its best place in this. If we will choose to put God first and everything else second. If we will seek the kingdom of God first, that everything else will fall into line. If we will serve him wholeheartedly, then provision becomes promised. That is the best way for us to put family where it belongs. To put God first in our homes. To make our plans of how we will use our time and the days and the weeks and the months and the years we have with them. How we think about using our money and expenses, how we pour our resources into them all the commitments we will and will not make that could distract us from what is most valuable or could set us on the right path, that we will always be threatened by idols and concerns and personal ambitions, and we can lose out on what we were made for. I was recently reminded by one of my mentors about the characteristics of my second favorite animal in the world. My first favorite will remain anonymous. My second favorite animal in the whole world is the peregrine falcon. There's lots of peregrine falcons in the UK, mountainous regions. They love it. And it's one of my favorites because it is unique. Now, it's a bird, and birds do normal bird things, and it does normal bird things. It flaps around, it eats, poops, does all the birdy things. But although it doesn't look so different, the peregrine falcon is special. And if a peregrine falcon doesn't realize it's special, it dies. My coach Marlon was telling me about how the opportunity he had to go and be with a peregrine falcon trainer for a day. Because if a peregrine falcon's parents abandon the nest or get killed, a chick will never survive. 
And the reason it will never survive is it will never eat. No matter how old it is, if it isn't taught to do what it was born to do, it will never eat a single thing. So this is what the trainer does. He takes this young peregrine falcon, and he pops it into the open air, and he sends up a kite that has a colored lure on it. And the peregrine will be drawn to it, and it'll circle and spiral up and up and up. And these birds can go 3,500 feet up. And once it's up there, it can see everything. Its eyes are built to be able to see minute details still 3,500 feet away. From above, it has favor. Above, it has advantage. It can normally fly about 40, 50 mile an hour top speed, but its prey is other birds. And therefore, if it never learns what it's got an advantage in and what it was born to do, it'll starve to death. Then once the bird has reached kind of like cruising altitude, the trainer will take a young pigeon from his pockets, living, and just toss it into the air. And in an instant, that peregrine falcon can see this bird. It can see it flapping. It can see exactly where it is, and something beautiful happens. It immediately knows, never having seen it before, something is triggered within its DNA and tells it to fall, and to fall hard. It locks on its head, and the way that its head is built, it's on a universal swivel. So the moment that a peregrine falcon locks onto something, it will not move. Its entire body around it will shift and change and, and, and adapt to make sure its head doesn't move an inch from 3,500 feet to the ground. Once it has started to fall, it will lock its wings in behind its body, forming the shape of a bullet, and it will start to gain speed. As it starts to gain speed, it pulls a membrane over its eyes so that as it gains top speed, the eyes and the brains don't turn to mush in its skull because at top speed, it reaches 200, 250 miles an hour. And it goes down, and it goes down fast. In the blink of an eye, it's all over, and all that's left are pigeon feathers and a peregrine falcon that has food. In that moment, the falcon knows what it was born to do, how it's different, why it's different, and it will never lose that ability ever from that point, never wanting to pursue food any other way than the way that it is born and gifted to do. You and I are born and gifted. Our children are born and gifted to do something special, specific, and unique. That is to put God first. To put God first is because we are wired to put God first. It's what's in our DNA. It's what we're created for. And parents, for too long, we've been trying to teach our kids how to fly like normal birds. We've been trying to show them actually what it means to pursue prey in another way and go find what you need in a different way and see how other people are flying. Go follow that. And we're missing the opportunity and we're giving them all these secondary pursuits, a way to do life that in the end will just lead them to starvation because they will never latch on to what it is they were gifted to do first. They don't need us to show them how other birds fly. We, they need us to show them how they were born to fly. They are already dive bombers. They are already capable of speeds that we could never comprehend. They are gifted with eyes and with ears and with gifts and with passions and limitations, yes, but God built in design to be the greatest part of the greatest movement on the face of the earth, the kingdom of God. And there's no exceptions. There is no child that excludes from this. 
No family that gets sidelined. Every believer, every kid, every family was born to do this. We were not meant for the slow spiral of life. We were not meant to keep trying to climb and climb and climb and see how high we could get, never latching on, never owning, never being able to capture what we were gifted to do. For what we were gifted to do was seek the kingdom of God first. The thing that gives us everything we will ever need is to love God wholeheartedly. That's our purpose. That's your kid's purpose. And that is your very messy. It's your very dangerous. It's your very frustrating. And it's your very high calling. As a parent, as an aunt, as an uncle, as a grandparent, as a friend of a friend's kids, for you to show them what they are born to do. They're born to hunt. They're made to seek the kingdom of God, to dive bomb darkness, to change people's lives, to renovate entire communities. And it's on you and me to make sure we guide them on that path. We show them what to do, that we clear out as many idols as we can from their path. Anything that would try and rob and steal that energy and focus, we cancel, we decommit, we get everything else gone so that we can teach our kids what they were born to do. Every week, every series, we have the hope of a next step, something that every conversation will lead us to, and this week is no different. Our step is to put God first. It's to put Him first in your life, it's to put Him first in your marriage, it's to put Him first in your family, or any potential relationship of your future. And it brings with it a challenge. A challenge not to say just, I put God first, but a challenge to declare today whom your family will serve. For Joshua declared in front of all to hear nice and loud, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. I want to give you a practical opportunity here in a moment. What we're going to do is the musical team is going to be up here, and they're going to lead us in a final song that we're able to worship with. And we're going to have our prayer team be down front, on the front of the stage, as per usual. But we're going to do something a little bit different. We're actually going to have all of the e-kids come back in and join their families. If you have anyone, any kids this morning, we're going to bring them back in and they're going to come and find you. This is going to give you an opportunity to be able to sing and be able to worship as an entire family. And if you want to go and get uh, any of your children from e-babies, you can do. Uh, you can go get them. We just didn't think you'd like us bringing them to you. What we're going to do is, as we're singing, as the prayer team are here, I'm going to challenge each and every one of you, every single and every couple and every family, to declare today whom they will serve. And for you to come and step forward, and for you to come and share with one of our prayer team that that is the desire of your life, that that is what you want to do. For them to be able to hear that and celebrate that with you, to pray with you for that, for them to send you on your way with a reminder of what you decided to do today. Let's bring the kids on in so they can find their way. If you're watching at home online, uh, you don't get to be here with us today, and that's a shame. I'm sorry that you can't, but I challenge you as families around the couch and around the TV to decide what it is that you're going to do, to decide whom you're going to serve, to decide what as a family you are going to be gifted and born and driving towards for the rest of your days. And I challenge you to lead your family in prayer as you declare that today. Now, as our kids have made it, as our prayer team has made it up front, I want to remind us what we are here to do. We are here to put family where it belongs. We're here to seek the kingdom of God first. We're here to put away idols. We're here to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, to be fullest expressions of his love. This is what we're born to be. 
We're born to be able to put family first in its place. So I ask you again to choose today whom you will serve. Let's worship.